Before we jump back into Zechariah, we're going to do that next week. I just thought this morning, we, we kind of had this, we started out a part of our summer in the Psalms, and I just thought we'd go right back to the Psalms this morning. And so if you got your Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 120. And we're actually going to look at three Psalms this morning, Psalm 120, 121, and 122. It's a, it's a Psalm of trouble, a Psalm of trust, and a Psalm of triumph. And... Um, and so as we turn to God's word this morning, uh, let's just open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you again for the opportunity, the privilege that we have to gather together, Lord, to worship you, to seek you, Lord, uh, to sing your praises, to fellowship with one another, but also, Lord, just to sit around um, your word and to be uh, taught, Lord, and, and to learn and to meditate on the things of God. And we just pray now, Lord, that your spirit would anoint this time, Jesus, that you would speak to us, that hearts would be encouraged, Lord, that in a fresh way we'd, we'd put our trust in you, Lord, and that, um, yeah, God, just that your grace would be upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The fa- Does the AC bug you guys? Is it too noisy? Do you want to turn that off, Mario? Is that okay? It won't get too hot in here that quick. All right. Are you hot? Are you guys hot? Do you want it on? Okay, let's leave it on. That's fine. As long as you can. Those guys are saying no. Do you guys want to scrap it out? I've been at hockey cap this week. Okay, we can. Let's do it. Awesome, man. I had so much fun. Like, uh, you know, one of the things that we do with the HMI camps is to have uh, pro instructors come in. And so some of the guys, we, we didn't have any big names there, but the cup, cups of coffee in the NHL for sure. And uh just fun, fun time hanging out with these guys, and uh, what, what a great week. And so anyways, hey, so Psalm, Psalm 120, 121, 122, the, the first three psalms of actually a group of 15. They're called the Psalms of Ascents, or the Psalms of Decrees. You'll see that in the, in the title of the psalm. And in, in the Hebrew word, the, the original language, the Hebrew decrees or ascents, it, it's speaking of a staircase, Climbing up. And so there's 15 of these uh, psalms, and, it, and it, it's just this reference to making the ascension to the house of God. Uh, they kind of wonder where these psalms came from, who organized them. And, and I read something interesting uh, last fall as I was studying for uh, when I was going to Calgary to do the men's conference. I was doing a character study on Hezekiah, and, and one of the suggestions. Uh, on the organization of the Psalms is that Hezekiah did it. There's some allusions to that in, in Proverbs and, both in, and also in Isaiah, that he was the one with his leaders that put the Psalms together in the order that we have today. And one of the interesting things about Hezekiah's life, you might remember uh, from the Bible, that, that he was a fellow that the prophet Isaiah came to him. He was a king of Judah. And Isaiah came to him and he said, Hezekiah... Uh, you're sick. The Lord wants you to know it's time to put your house in order. You're going home. And so Hezekiah, the scripture tells us, he turned his face to the Lord and he began to pour out his heart to God. And before Isaiah had left the building, the Lord turned him around and he said, you go back to Hezekiah and you tell him that I've, that I've added, I, no, I can't remember, 10, 10, 15 years to his life. I've added 15 years to his life. And so 
many believe that it was during that 15 years, there were some bad stuff that happened in his life during that 15 years. It was his son Manasseh was born, who was an evil king. But one of the things that happened, they believe, during that time was that Hezekiah got his men organized and they organized the Psalms and the Proverbs as we have them today. And out of these 15 Psalms of Ascension, four of them are credited to David and one's credited to Solomon and the other 10 have an unnamed author. We don't know who they are. Two of them we're going to look at today. We don't know who wrote them. And the suggestion is actually this, and there's a reference in Isaiah to this. In Isaiah, the words of Hezekiah are recorded. He says, ah, we're going to sing my songs of praise in the house of God. And so he himself was a songwriter like David. And so the suggestion is, is that there's 15 Psalms of Ascension. They, they correlate with the 15 years added to Hezekiah's life, maybe. And uh, he's the author of the 10 unnamed ones. And so... Anyways, we're going to look at the first, first three this morning. Um, kind of in the culture of the people, the Jewish people living in the land of Canaan, once they had conquered it and settled it and were living there, the Lord required that three times a year during the, the high holidays, the feasts, that the people would uh, make the journey to Jerusalem to celebrate those, celebrate those feasts and to worship uh, at the house of God. They no longer were wandering in, in the wilderness. They're no longer living in tents. But there was this sense that as they made this journey towards Jerusalem, the Lord was keeping it at the forefront of their minds that they were pilgrims. That, that in the sense this, that the earth was not their home, just like us as, as followers of Jesus. We're, we're pilgrims. We're, we're looking for... The holy city Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And so these psalms were organized because as the people were making their way up to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms of ascension as a way of preparing their hearts to, to worship the Lord once they had arrived there. Actually, when, when the transition of power was happening from David to his son Solomon and David called Solomon into his presence and he, he charged him to be uh, king of Israel and Solomon was anointed. Uh, the Bible tells us, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, uh, 29, that, that David and the assembly of the people came to the house of the Lord and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and they worshipped because they were excited that there was a new king, King Solomon. And in the presence of the people and in the presence of Solomon as an old man, David prayed and he said this, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 14 and 15. He said, Who am I and what is my people? For all things come from you and we've just given to you what is already your own. He said, For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were as well. See, David believed that. He was a pilgrim, a sojourner in this world. And he acknowledged that before the Lord, that he and his, that he and his people were passing through. Pilgrims. You know, aliens. I like, that. I like that translation. I think the NIV uses aliens. People ever ask me, do you believe in aliens? I said, well, yes, I do. The Bible speaks of them. <laughs> I'm one of them. I don't belong here. My, my heart belongs to another kingdom, another heavenly Jerusalem. 
And so we have to remember the New Testament teaches you and I the same thing as followers of Christ. We're, we're passing through. Pilgrims, sojourners, this world is not our home and it's not our final destination. Hebrews 11 actually commends the ancients who died in, in faith having not received things promised but greeting them from far off having acknowledged, the writer of Hebrews says, having acknowledged that they were strangers and they were exiles on the earth. You ever feel like, man, you know, fit in in this place. We're strangers and we're exiles in the earth. And so the people of Israel would travel from their outlying communities from all over the north, the south, the east, the west. They would travel towards uh, Jerusalem and as they traveled, they would sing these these psalms, Psalm 120 through 134. And they would leave their village or leave their community and family, family groups and, and travel together, fellowship together on the road, worship along the road. And these songs would help them focus on the Lord and focus their minds on all God had done for them as a nation. Now, one of the things that's interesting about these 15 psalms, I encourage you to check it out, they follow a pattern, actually. There's 15 of them, but they, you can divide them up into groups, five groups of three. And the pattern is this, trouble, trust, triumph. And this morning, I thought we'd just look at the first three. We'll start with trouble, okay? <laughs> Psalm 120, sorry, look, look there with me. It says this, it's called, it's entitled, Deliver Me, O Lord, A Song of Ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what, what, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of a broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell, among the dwell amongst the tents of Kedar. Too long I have had my dwelling amongst those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Man, you read this, it's like, this psalm starts with distress, it ends with war, and in the middle it's like lying and deceit. Doesn't it sound exciting? <laughs> Full of worship? Doesn't that sound like something that should prepare you to come to the house of God? You know, you probably were in that one this morning, right? It's like, right on. We're going to worship the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 120. Talk about distress and war and lies and deceiving. But it's interesting that it's, that it's here, that it was one of the psalms that they sang in preparation for going to the, to the house of God. And it, and it seems to be the song, I, I, I think, of an individual who was almost, it sounds like they have to stay back, you know. They're watching everybody packing up, families, moms, dads, grandparents, kids, loading up, heading off to Jerusalem to travel and worship, and they're left behind. That's what it sounds like as you read it. But, but I wonder if that's part of its purpose. You know, the singing of this psalm would remind people that as they made a pilgrimage, that they, that they were privileged. That they were privileged to get to go to Jerusalem. They were privileged to get to go to the house of God. That they were privileged to have that opportunity and that ability to go and to worship. 
And I bet as they sang it, I bet it reminded them of individuals that were left behind, you know. They were left at home. Maybe they were sick or ill and couldn't travel. You know, maybe because of various, whatever, reasons. They had to stay behind and they couldn't make the journey. And they were prevented for various reasons. Maybe, maybe it was trouble in their life. Some issue. You know, I think about our world. There's trouble in this world, isn't there? We experience trouble in our lives, difficulties, problems, distresses. And, and the truth is, is that the ability to come together as the people of God and to worship is a privilege. You know, we're doing something that some people in other nations around the world don't have the opportunity to date. They don't have this privilege because there's trouble in their communities or in their nation or it's not safe for them. It's a privilege to gather with the people of God and to worship. And so they sang about it. And I, and I think there's a, a few lessons that you, can, that you can see in this psalm as we face troubles, that, a few lessons that can help us. When trouble seems to be getting in the way of our ability to worship, well, the first thing I see is this, is that, that we should pray, that we should call on the Lord. Look at what it says again. In my distress... I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. You know, this writer, I think he's maybe talking in the present, but he's also talking in the, in the past. Different English translations, some are translated in various ways, past or present. Tense. And, and the writer here prayed and he says, I recall the times when I called on the Lord and in my distress, he met me. He answered me. You got those times? We have those times, don't we? Because, and the writer says, because the Lord came through at, at other times, I have the confidence to seek him in the midst of my current troubles. You know, sometimes when we face problems and troubles and distress in life, you know, prayer isn't always the first thing to come to mind necessarily. I mean, often it is in the midst of trouble, but other times, you know, it's just easy to, the easy thing to do is to begin complaining, grumbling against the Lord, questioning, what the heck, what am I doing here, God? How did I get here? But instead of complaining about the situation, this, this writer brought it before the Lord in prayer. He says, deliver me, Lord. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Now, when I read that, you know, I, I'm not sure whether he's speaking of himself or he's speaking of other people. I mean, it could be a little bit of both. Deliver me, God, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Or deliver me from those people, Lord, that are saying things against me. I think he's speaking both of the slanders of other people and the sins of his own heart. God, deliver us. And in our troubles, you know, we have to do this. As we call on the Lord, we have to stand in confidence upon God's track record of answering our prayers. We must pray. We must trust in God. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. See, the writer of this psalm trusted that, that God would take care of his enemies. 
Whether that enemy was his own personal sin or whether it was the attacks of others, the writer recognized that, that he need not attack the enemy, but that he could trust the Lord to fight for him. That's like you people over here on this side and these ones on this side. And the whole air, you just pray. God will deal with those people and then you guys, that way, okay? And he speaks, the writer here speaks of the warrior's sharp arrows. And you and I, uh, the Bible says, face those same sharp arrows. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we're to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. Arrows. Fiery darts. They're, they're images of evil and lying words. And the writer here is confident that God is going to punish the enemy with his own weapon. He's going to turn those weapons that the enemy is using, going to turn them right back on him. And when you and I are slandered or lied about, we have to leave the matter with the Lord and, and trust him to take care of it and, and patiently endure. Look what the writer says as he goes on here. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the, among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling amongst those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. See, I mean, you read this. This, this psalmist was a peacemaker. He tried, to, he tried to encourage his neighbors to live at peace, but the more he spoke to them, the more they were intent on making war with him. You ever feel like that in life? I mean, I think we can all relate to that. When you speak loving words and it just makes someone more angry. <laughs> Gotta love that. What can you do in that case, you know? And then we go with David with King Saul. You know, David's loving words and reason with Saul, you know, would maybe calm the storm for a, a brief moment for another escape. But in the long term, man, anytime David said anything, it just fueled Saul's hatred for him. And I think it fueled his hatred because, because Saul hated the peace that was in David's heart. I, I, I mean, I really think that. He hated that. Or you think about Jesus, who suffered at the hands of liars and deceivers, lying about his character, lying about the things that he said, lying about the things that he did, though he was innocent and righteous. Peter said that, that Christ suffered and he left us an example, 1 Peter chapter 2, Christ left us an example that we should follow. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But the scripture says that, that he continued to entrust himself to God who judges justly. And here's the thing that, that Peter tells us about Jesus and his dealing with those who called, uh, caused him trouble. Peter flips it and he puts it onto you and I and he says, you're, you're, we're the troublemakers. We did that to Jesus. He says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. We were the troublemakers. We were the sinners. And he bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. 
The writer here talks about these areas, Meshach and Kedar. They were to the north and to the south of Israel, and they were areas where the inhabitants were hostile to the Jewish people, hostile to the people of God. And, and it just makes me think for, for you and I, you know, there, there are segments of our culture that are hostile towards followers of Jesus, isn't there? There's a hostility to those who follow Christ. Even when we speak of peace, man, they're for war. And so, you know, imagine the pilgrim leaving these regions where they're, they're, they're living in a community where there's hostility towards them and heading to worship in Jerusalem and they'd be, they'd be traveling along the road and singing these songs and I imagine that they thought to themselves, man, I am so glad to be leaving that area where people are so hostile and now I get to go to the house of God and worship. So glad to just escape that for a little while. Now I get to go to Jerusalem where I have refuge from their lies and I can enjoy fellowship with like-minded people and we can worship the Lord in freedom. And sometimes coming to church is like that, isn't it? It's like, oh. I got a friend, his, his church is called Refuge Christian Fellowship. I think it's a great name because sometimes coming to church is like, Finding a, a refuge. You're, you're on your way to meet with the church and you think to yourself, I'm so glad I get to leave parts of my life behind right now in a certain sense and just simply gather with the people of God and worship Jesus. And so Psalm 120 speaks of dealing with trouble and Psalm 121 speaks of trust, the Psalm of trust. Check it out. Psalm 121 called My Help Comes from the Lord, a song of ascents, no author given. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help, where does my help come? From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Wow, that one's like a nice cup of cold water after that previous one, isn't it? It's a famous psalm. You know this one. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? The hills in, in those days in ancient times were often high places designated for worship, uh, typically for pagan, pagan gods. The psalmist isn't speaking of those places. He's not looking to those places. The city of Jerusalem is, is actually built on seven mountains, but, but as worshipers, as they were ascending up to Jerusalem, they weren't, they weren't drawing inspiration from the mountains. That's not what he's saying here. It's not drawing inspiration from the mountains, but from the location of Jerusalem in the midst of the mountains. He's saying, I can see the hills. We're getting close to the place where we're going to worship God. We're getting close. And the writer of both the previous Psalm 120 and this one, uh, 121, they're, they're un unnamed, but as you read this, I, I kind of think that 
likely it probably is one and the same person and, and a good chance it's Hezekiah. And this writer writes about, about trouble and then he writes about trust. In terms of trouble, he knew, he knew the answer wasn't to look to himself or to look to his friends, but to look to the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, the ascension up to Jerusalem from the Mediterranean Sea, it's a, you know, they call it mountains. For us, it's like, those aren't mountains. It's 2,500 feet, you know, to go from sea level to Jerusalem. It's a little bit more if you're coming from the east, from the Dead Sea side or the Sea of Galilee because they're below sea level. But the psalmist was saying this, as pilgrims, Lord, we're lifting our eyes. We're lifting our eyes from the things of this earth as we head to Jerusalem because our help is found in going to the temple. Our help is found in the presence of God. Our help is found in meeting with God and pouring out our hearts before him. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Remember when that little boy was brought to Jesus? He had the loaves and the fishes. There's a great multitude there, multitude there that needed to be fed. Matthew says that Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven and he gave thanks. And then he fed the multitude. The night before he was crucified, Matthew tells us that Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and he prayed. Jesus looked to his father and received the very strength and help that he needed. And I think about us, you know. Sometimes our problems are, feel really big. Sometimes the things that we face just feel insurmountable. Like we can't conquer them. Like we're not going to beat them. But the truth is, is that's only the case when my perspective is wrong. It's like perspective, right? It's like you could take your thumb and block out the sun. It's perspective. And problems are only bigger than God if my perspective is out of whack. And what we have to remember is that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I like that. He made heaven and earth. And when we remember that, it shrinks our problems and our troubles down to their proper size in comparison to his power. I mean, what trouble are you facing? Look at the heavens. That's what he says. Look to the heavens. You know, think of the stars. Humanity can't put a number to them, and yet the word of God tells us that, that the Lord calls each of them by name and he holds them to place. We can't even put a number on them. We just find more and more and more. And he knows the name of every single one and holds them in their place. See, if the Lord can manage the stars, I think we can trust them with our problems. Don't you think that? Uh, it's perspective. What trouble are you facing today? Look at the earth. Look at the earth. I always think of the ocean. The word of God tells us that God has set boundaries for it and he says to, them, says to the ocean, this is your boundary and you shall go no further. And there the ocean stays and it only moves when he gives it permission to go beyond its boundaries. That's like our problems, you know. <laughs> you think about Job. 
The Lord laid it out. When Satan came to him and said, give me that man. He says, you can go this far and you can go no further. Wow, let me touch the man. Okay, you can go this far and you can go no further. See, see the Lord sets boundaries even for our problems and our troubles. And it's all about perspective for you and I. Because God created it all and he holds it all together. And he knows the intricacies and he knows the secrets that I can't explain. And so my solution and your solution is to trust him. Say, God, I put my stuff in perspective in light of who you are. Because you're bigger than anything I'm facing. You know, Isaiah said this. He said, fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The psalmist here says in verse 3, He won't let your foot be moved. You think of the pilgrim traveling the path and traveling the roadways and the trails. I'm not going to let your foot slip. I'm going to stop you from stumbling. You'll hear, uh, hear me speak in your right ear and in your left. This is the way walk in it. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go and I will counsel you with my eye upon you, says the Lord. Verse 3 here continues. It says, He who keeps you will not slumber. Remember Elijah? Prophets of Baal. Love that story. Great story. The showdown. is the prophets of Baal uh, line up against Elijah, both seeking to call upon their, their God to send fire and consume the sacrifice and the prophets of Baal went first and you know the story that as they just began to call him Baal and there was no answer Elijah just began to taunt them I love that began to make fun of them yeah. and as he, he taunted he, he said you, you should get louder I think maybe he's sleeping you know I think he's relieving himself he's sitting on a toilet maybe you should Call louder, and they shouted louder, and they cut themselves, and they beat their bodies, and they screamed, and they, they danced, and nothing happened. And then Elijah called on the living God who does not slumber, as the scripture says. That's the difference between the living God and no gods, false gods. Our God does not slumber, He, he does not sleep. We don't have to exert ridiculous amounts of, of energy to get his attention. You know, cut ourselves and dance and this and that. We don't have to do that to get his attention. But like children coming to the perfect father, he just turns to us and responds, Dad, Abba, and there he is. We got him. We have his attention. David says in Psalm 139 that that the thoughts of the Lord toward you, get this, the thoughts of the Lord towards you outnumber the sand of the seashore. That's incredible. He will not slumber. He's always thinking about you. Your situation, your troubles are always before him and he's not slumbering. You can trust him. 
Verse 4, it says this, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I, I like that because, you know, Israel in this sense, it's, too, it's not just, Israel's not just a, wasn't just a nation. Before Israel was ever a nation, it was a person, right? Who was born with the name Jacob and his name was changed to Israel. Given the name Jacob at birth and in his human nature, in his sin nature, we know this about Jacob. He was a conniver. He was a deceiver. He was a trickster. He had lying lips. And God changed him. God changed him. And it's easy to, to compare ourselves to other people who follow Jesus and go, oh, wow, you know, look at them. They're righteous. My Christian life doesn't look like theirs. God's going to listen to them Listen to them, and he's not, he's not going to listen to me, you know. We compare ourselves to others and, and say to ourselves, you know, the stuff in my heart, God, God's not going to keep me. But I would say this, he kept Jacob. <laughs> he kept Jacob, and he turned Jacob into Israel. And he'll keep you in his steadfast love, and he'll fulfill his purpose for you. Look at verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. What an amazing thing that is in Christ. That we don't have to struggle. That we don't have to strive to keep our Christian experience. We don't have to struggle and strive to, to keep our salvation. The Lord is the one who promises to keep us. You know his word. He who has begun a good work in us will be faithful to complete that which he has begun in us. The psalmist goes on. He says, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. You know, you know a soldier, you think about a soldier in those days, he'd be carrying probably in his left arm his shield, and what would he have in his right? His sword. And you think about him battling, one of the areas a, a soldier, we always say that his back is exposed, you know, you've probably heard Bible teachers say that, you know, that's why in the armor of God there's nothing for your back because you always go head on into battle. But one of the areas where a soldier was most susceptible was right here, to be exposed at the right side. And the psalmist says here, the, the Lord is your shade, or other translations will say shield. He is the shield on your right side. When you're in battle and you've got covered as much as you can cover, the Lord covers the areas where you're vulnerable. He, he knows your areas of strength and he knows your areas of weakness, just like you do. You know your strengths, and you know your, your weaknesses in your life. And the Lord says, he will protect and cover the areas where you are most vulnerable. Isn't that beautiful? He'll protect you. The psalmist says, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. You think about the pilgrims, you know, traveling under the, the heat of the sun in the Middle East. Sometimes we feel like, man, oof, going through it, man. Fiery trials, burning out, not going to make it. It's a good promise right here. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The ancients, you know, associated losing your mind with the moon, right? You know, in some of the superstitions, they would say, don't, don't look at the moon. You'll... You'll turn into a lunatic. That's where we get the word lunatic 
from, from, they had a lunar calendar. They believed that. Uh, many of those cultures believed that about the, the moon. A lunatic. You ever feel like you're losing your grip? Man. Barely hanging on here, Lord. The Lord has promised that he will keep you. He, he shields us from harm. Now, now that doesn't mean as, as obedient believers that, that we'll never find ourselves in places where there's difficulty or that we'll never find ourselves in places where there's danger. Doesn't, doesn't mean that you'll never feel or experience emotional pain or, or suffering. But I would say this, it, it does mean this, that, that, that God may permit things to happen in our lives in his will that will hurt us, but he'll never harm us. And there's a great difference between being hurt by the Lord and harmed by the Lord, isn't there? The scripture says he, he disciplines and, and, he, and he works in our lives to bring forth his character, but that's not harm. He's working all things together for our good, for our good. He says this in verse 7, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. See, this is a psalm that's about trust. For those traveling the road of the pilgrim. That's you and me, traveling the road of the pilgrim towards the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a comfort to know that God will be with us. He's with us in this world. And he's, he's with us on the journey to the next part, the other side. And so a psalm of, of trust. And if this is a psalm of trust, I, I, I read Psalm 122 and I see it as a psalm of triumph. Let's check it out. It's called, uh, Let Us Go to the House of the Lord, a song of ascent of David. This one's credited to David. It says this. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your, all, in, within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. He says, I, I, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. This is David. You know what's amazing about this is that the temple wasn't built yet. And yet David wrote this psalm. The Holy Spirit inspired him. And David was eager to worship in the house of the Lord with the pilgrims who would make their way to Jerusalem. David enjoyed being in the, the presence of God with the people of God. And it makes me think of Jesus. You know, he's our David. He told his disciples, you know, the night he was betrayed, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until we do so together in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is eager, man. Jesus is eager to worship with us, to be in the presence of God with us, in the presence of his Father with us. He's eager to do that. You know, I, I just think that about Jesus. I was thinking on this psalm. Man. He's waiting 
longing for that day when we stand at those gates. The psalmist David says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. See, this is, this is perspective right here. Though the journey was long, th though it was hard and the pilgrims sang as they, they journeyed, th though they hadn't yet arrived, they said, our feet are standing in the gates. That's perspective. He said, we're not there, but we're there. That's where our heart is. While we're walking here, my heart is already at the gates. It's there. Yeah. It's there. It's like I'm already standing right in those gates. Not there yet, but in the attitude of our hearts, we are going to worship like we already arrived. I like that. The pilgrim wasn't going to complain about the journey. My heart's already there. It's set on the Lord. And I think it's true to say that, that you, you know, I've heard it said that, that love makes a, makes a burden lighter or love makes a journey shorter. And it's like that as they're singing here. It's like, man, I'm already there. Jerusalem, verse 3. Built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Jerusalem in those days, it wasn't a big city. It was surrounded with uh, walls and not very large. And as, the, you know, Josephus says about two million worshipers would come during these feasts to make the pilgrimage. And that city would be crammed, man. It'd be tight. You'd be walking down the narrow streets and you'd be squashed with the crowd. And they would gather there and they would meet to give thanks to the Lord. And like, man, the, the overcrowding of the city is no issue to me whatsoever, the psalmist is saying, because we're here to give thanks to the Lord. And we know this, that sometimes, you know, bringing thanksgiving is a sacrifice. Sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we're wondering what God is doing in our lives. And to bring, sacrifice, to bring thanksgiving is a sacrifice. You know, there are, there are times when, when grumbling and, and feeling sorry for myself comes much easier than giving thanks to the Lord. And yet it's during those times that when we bring thanksgiving, when we don't feel like it, when we want to grumble, when we want to complain, that the Lord accepts that as a sacrifice. You know, I was thinking about this. It's, it's why we need brothers and sisters in the Lord to say to us, come on, man, let's go to the house of God. L let's go. What a blessing it is when someone says that to you. Come on, man, haven't seen you for a while. Let's go. Let's get to the house of God. We've got to worship together. We've got to seek the Lord. And we're encouraged to come and to meet with the Lord, and he blesses us. Verse 5 says of Jerusalem, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So Jerusalem was a place where, where counsel was given. It was a place where, where wisdom was dispersed. So it was a good thing when the people of God came together. They, they could be counseled and receive wisdom. And verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. 
God said this to Abraham. He said, those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. Now, that doesn't mean that, that everything that Israel does, let's talk about Israel today as a state, as a nation. It doesn't mean that everything that their nation does or their government does is just and right, but it does mean this, that in the economy of God, Jerusalem and Israel, as we, as we see in Bible prophecy, hold a very special uh, place in what God is going to do in this world. And what this psalm is telling us is that we do right when we recognize it. That, that when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, there's a security uh, that comes. You know, there's an interesting, just kind of interesting, some historians write about different nations that, have, that were prominent and powerful in the world that when they're, relationship at times changed with Israel and they turned on Israel, God removed a certain security from their nation and the downfall began to happen. The psalmist says, may they be secure who love you, Jerusalem, because the Lord loves Jerusalem. It says in verse 7, peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sakes, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good, the psalmist says. Why did David seek the good of Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem was the city that God had chosen to work in in a unique way. A city that God had chosen for the dwelling place of his temple and his presence amongst the Jewish people. And you know, I just think Similarly, the same is true for the church. Why do we gather together? Why do we do what we do as a a church? Why do we love to gather together as a church? Why do we love the fellowship uh, with God and with the people of God and look forward to those times? It's because of this. Because the church is the place where God has chosen to uniquely work in this world amongst the followers of Jesus. And it just makes me think, you know, when, when, I, when I'm a fault finder, of you and I are fault finders of other followers of Jesus or maybe other churches, the one who is in error is actually you and I. Because we're finding fault with the very place God has chosen to bless and as, you, as I think about this, let, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's just to praise God is victory. To praise God is triumph. And as pilgrims and sojourners, uh, we are to be worshipers, not sightseers. Worshippers, not sightseers. You know, you go to Jerusalem, maybe you'll come with us in the new year, in March. You go to Jerusalem, it's easy to be a, just a sightseer and not a worshiper. It's even easy to come here on a Sunday morning and just be a sightseer instead of a worshiper. Triumph comes when we worship the Lord Jesus. Yeah, there's lots to see. But the greatest task is that we worship and that we give thanks to the Lord. And a heart for God, a heart for God will be filled with praise and prayer. So three Psalms this, this morning.
want to trouble, want to trust, and want to triumph. And I encourage you this week, go through the Psalms of Ascents in your quiet time, in your time with the Lord, and, and just look for those themes. Look, look, look for the trouble, look for the trust, and look for the triumph.